Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. <laughs> Welcome to Grape Top Online. Uh, so glad y'all could be here today. Um, today, we're continuing our series, Why Did I Do That? Why did I do that? Um, you ever ask yourself that right after a situation, right after you either said something or did something, maybe you made a mistake, maybe you actually did something good and you weren't really planning it and you said like just the right thing and you're like, why did I say that? And we often have all these things within our lives where we do them without having self-reflection of why we do them. Um, I once heard a story a long time ago of this mom that was making a roast and she cut off the ends of the roast and her daughter said, uh, mom, how come you cut off the ends of the roast? And she said, well, my mom always did that. And so I just did it because she did it. And so she started getting really curious and she asked uh, the grandmother, hey, when you would cut off the ends of the roast, why would you do that? And she said, well, gee, I don't, I don't really know. I just saw my mother do it. And luckily, great-grandma was still alive, and so they went and asked great-grandma, how come you'd always cut the ends of the roast off? Uh, and she said, oh, that's just because I never had a pan long enough. <laughs> and so she would cut the, the ends of the roast off to fit in the pan. And it's a, uh, I thought you all laugh a little bit more, but whatever. Um, the, the point of the story is that so often we repeat things that from our childhood, we repeat things that we see or that we hear simply because we think it's the right way or we saw somebody else do it without ever really knowing why we're doing what we're doing. So many Christians, over 70%, abandon their faith as soon as they, uh, even when they're raised in church, they abandon their faith as soon as they leave high school or as soon as they leave home, mainly because they don't know why they believe what they believe. And as soon as they go into the real world and are tested or they're, uh, they're um, challenged in their faith, they don't really have the, the right answer, know why themselves, and so their faith crumbles. Their faith is built on the sand instead of a solid rock. Plug uh, kids' church, that's what they're talking about today. Um, and so today, our main focus is going to be addicted. Addicted. And as we talk about this idea of addictions today, I think a lot of people would say to them, uh, say to themselves, well, I'm not an addict. I don't have any addictions. I'm not addicted to anything. And I want us to grasp, um, instead of focusing on the label of an addict or an addiction, I want us to focus on the idea of something controlling you or something being hard to stop, you know, the real essence of addiction is is almost like a craving that you can't put down a craving that that urges you so much that where even when you don't want to you do it anyway i remember when i was smoking weed uh in the process of giving my life to christ and i would smoke every day and one day i felt like the holy spirit when at the time i thought i was just developing schizophrenia but one day I felt like the Holy Spirit asked me, are you addicted to this? And my answer was great because I had already looked it up online. <laughs> and when you look up, can you get addicted to marijuana? I was able to find, no, it doesn't have any addictive properties. <laughs> I, can, I don't have any problem with it. And my answer was, no, it's, I can't be addicted to it, it uh, so I'm fine. And then the Holy Spirit uh, nudged me and said, then why don't you stop? And at that point, I was faced with this dilemma of that any way I answered without simply saying, okay, I'll stop, was showing I was addicted to this substance. Even though I didn't have the, the, the physical, actual traits of um, addictive properties to where I'm going to literally ha go into sweat or have these uh, body alter. Uh, altercations from stopping I was so immensely addicted to where it, the thought of stopping made me angry it made me scared it made me confused and at that point I knew that I was addicted to the substance 
And so maybe you don't have a substance that you're necessarily addicted to, but um, what we all usually do have is some type of, um, I don't even want to label it as a sin. Like in churchy terms, we say a secret sin or a hidden sin. And I always think that that term is so funny uh, because if you ever want to, uh, as a preacher, if you ever want to make people feel guilt, guilty or feel like, uh, trick them into thinking like God is just specifically calling them out, I could just talk about secret sin the whole time. <laughs> Everyone, everyone's got that. There's whole. I remember going to churches and having a whole uh, uh, service surrounded by like, uh, th there's somebody here that has a secret sin and God is speaking to you. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's me. I have a secret sin. <laughs> and then I realized everyone would go up like, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't think it's really a secret. <laughs> I think that we just haven't acknowledged it ourselves. We haven't really acknowledged this issue that we're dealing with. And that's what I want us to start with, is this idea of acknowledgement. Acknowledgement. Admitting a weakness is wise and brings strength, not shame. Admitting a weakness is wise and brings strength, not shame. We've been conditioned in our mind to, to hide any kind of weakness that we have. If we have a struggle or a problem, you just hide it, especially in church. I remember watching this documentary about the trials of Ted Haggard. Ted Haggard was um, a very famous pastor um, for the generation right before ours. And it came out. Uh, it was like he was the most this super famous pastor who would be a pastor for the president um, and uh, just super influential. And all of a sudden uh, it came out that he had sl slept with a, a homosexual prostitute. And it like shocked everybody within the church world. And he was demonized. He was cast out of the church. It, and this whole documentary shows like, the trials he had to go through afterwards. And there's, it was just like a, this incredible story and it's really shocking. And it's uh, once you actually see the different things that he talks about of when he first started feeling um, these cravings or these thoughts, you realize how incredibly simple and not that complex sin is in our life. And that a lot of it goes to our childhood. But the thing that I want to focus on is that this, uh, this journalist asks him, how come you never shared this with anybody else? These, these cravings for, for sexual sin, how come you never sh shared it with anybody else? And he said, I was so afraid that if I shared it with anybody else that they would demonize me and throw me out and, and, uh, and want to have nothing to do with me. And he just described all of the fears of judgment that he would face. And he said, and then he said, and that's exactly what happened, except even worse. And I want us to focus on this idea that when it comes to acknowledging secret sin, addiction, whatever you want to label it as, that when we admit to it before it consumes us, it actually exposes the substance. It exposes the addiction it exposes the sin rather than it exposing you. I once heard it said that we should embarrass sin before sin embarrasses us. I want you to imagine a scenario of someone that's addicted to alcohol. If anyone has ever had experience with an alcoholic in your family or a close, uh, someone close to you that struggles with alcoholism, it generally destroys all of the relationships around you it just like disintegrates them and what happens is that there's a point that usually family members or close loved ones try to do an intervention of some type it might not be the full-fledged you know tv show intervention but some kind of confrontation to where they try to get the person to acknowledge this issue in their life and what often happens is that the person refuses to acknowledge that they have a problem. And what do they do? They push those people even farther away. Because the thought of admitting to a weakness makes you afraid of being weak. 
It makes you afraid of being ashamed. But the reality is, is that everybody has weaknesses that look different from others. And when we admit to those weaknesses, it actually gives room to be strengthened instead of being weak. Does that make sense? And in no way am I trying to say an addiction is a weakness. But what I'm saying is that those areas that we don't have self-control in are areas that instead of thinking that you're weak for not having self-control in, it just means that that part of your life may be exasperated to where you need some help. And so I want to share some verses real quick. In Proverbs chapter 26, verses 11 through 12, it says, Like a dog that returns to its vomit, so is a fool who repeats his foolishness. Do you see a person wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Proverbs is a really brutal book. <laughs> um, because it's almost like just like like God's Twitter account. Like, like It's like just mean tweets <laughs> like all, all throughout it. And often we read Proverbs... Um, it's like it's very easy to think that each proverb is its own standalone tweet. Like verse one is usually uh, verse eleven is usually just shared by itself. Like a dog returns to its vomit, so is a fool who repeats his foolishness. Usually, it's just by itself. But when we read it all together and allow ourselves to unpack what is being said, it's talking about uh, it's describing an addiction, isn't it? It's describing. What happens uh, is that we, the very thing that we try not to do, we end up going back to. Anyone experienced that before? Again, that's, that's the kind of concept I want us to focus on. Not the label of addiction, the concept of going back to something that we don't want to go back to. And then it says, do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. What it's saying is a person that isn't willing to acknowledge a weakness. I got it all figured out myself. I don't need anybody help. Wise in their own eyes. There's more hope for a fool than for them. And so Proverbs is literally saying it's foolish to not acknowledge our faults, our shortcomings, our weaknesses, but it is wise to acknowledge them and know them. It's only when we acknowledge them and know them that we can help better guard against ourselves. If I was missing a leg and I were to, and I were to never acknowledge it, could you see how, how that would have so much potential to set me up for error? If I were to never address it or if I had a, an open wound on my arm, I, said, I don't need any help. I, I, nothing's, it's fine, it's fine. My arm was broken. No, it's fine. I don't need a, any help at all. I got it. It's, nothing's wrong. It works just fine. Eventually, I'm going to run into some problems. Eventually, I'm going to make that broken arm so much worse if I never put a cast on it. it the moment I, I try to, to just walk normal with a broken leg, it, it's going to make it worse unless I address it. And so in the same way in our lifestyle, in our lives, we need to acknowledge the areas that we are struggling with or that we're weak because only then can we heal from it or get better from it. But if we just try to live in fantasy land and pretend that we're the only person in the world that's perfect and doesn't struggle or have any weaknesses, then we're never going to really be able to fix what's going on in our lives. And be not mistaken, most of these things that, that, that are being brought to mind, they do consume us. They do consume us. And if left unacknowledged, you'll be looking back one day and you'll see the process of how it just, without even realizing it, it consumed your entire life. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And so this, this first idea of acknowledging is the first and biggest lie to overcome in order to find true victory or freedom. We must start by being transparent with ourselves. We have a core value at our church that victory happens with transparency. And you have to first be transparent with yourself. It's difficult. It's hard to do. I mean, we don't even like listening when you don't really do this now. But remember back in the day when you had to record your voicemail? And you would like 
do your voicemail and you either did a serious one like hello this is homer hargrove you've missed me i'll call you back or you do a funny one where you're like hello hello ha not here to call you back <laughs> but remember when you first recorded your voicemail and you re-listened to it and you're like i sound like that and it's like so hard for us to have any acknowledgement of our true selves, of any self-reflection to where we don't even like our voice. We like to pretend that our voice is just the way that it sounds in our head. But the reality is the reality. And we have to be transparent with ourselves. That's the first step. And not only is it necessary to acknowledge these addictions or these cravings to something, but it is important to reflect on what benefits it offers you. See, a lot of times we, we acknowledge, uh, if we do get to acknowledging the issue, we never acknowledge why we actually go to that. When, for me, smoking weed, why did I want to do drugs every single day? Because it gave me a sense of peace and it gave me a sense of control. I was able to control my emotions. I was able to control my pain by injecting some type of peace or uh, artificial peace into myself, into my body and change my mood. And, and the, the essence of peace and having a, a type of control over your life, are those bad things? Of course not. Because what is control? How can we find control in our lives is, is by finding the very things that we are able to control and letting go of the things that we can't control. And when you look at what, why is it that you crave what you crave? There are good things that you get out of it. And when you acknowledge the, the actual things you are chasing, the benefits that you're chasing, you can better break ties with the unhealthy ways of achieving it. Y'all feel what I'm saying? For me... I was able to find that peace I was chasing in God. I truly was able to feel peace in God's presence. That's why I love worship. It's like uh, I used to joke around like I need to go toke the Holy Ghost. <laughs> That's when I was like super saved. <laughs> and, and see that this idea of chasing and just always addressing the addiction without actually looking at the benefits it gives you, it will often leave you uh, with this hole in your life that you're not filling anymore. And a lot of people end up just getting depressed because they don't feel good about themselves anymore, even a little bit from the substance that they were using. And they, they get down and they eventually go back to the substance because that little bit of benefit is, was something that they needed. Whether it was happiness, whether it was a good feeling, whatever it is. A lot of people, they, uh, a lot of people that struggle with alcoholism what they more so struggle with is social interaction. That's what they crave. And when you take away going to the bar and being able to meet new people and talk to anyone, I mean, just sharing a drink with someone is the easiest way to, to meet somebody new. It's like they, it's the one thing in common where it doesn't have uh, uh, any pre-assumptions. You don't need to have think about what to say. It's like you're able to just flow, right? When you take that away, so many people get stuck and not knowing how to why am I missing something now? Now I don't have anyone to talk to. And that social interaction is gone. We have to acknowledge those things so that we can find it in healthier ways. Y'all feel me? And so, now that we've talked about acknowledging addictions, acknowledging these cravings, acknowledging why we're craving these things, let's go into the brass tacks. We talked about having self-reflection. Now let's talk about action and avoidance. And I'll say this, we use more effort to avoid pineapples on pizza than we do to avoid temptation from our addictions. That's funny, right? Anyone that likes pineapple on their pizza is like, the hell is that supposed to mean? <laughs> but what I'm getting at is that Sometimes we acknowledge a problem in our life and then we do nothing to avoid it. Y'all feel me? Someone that, um, say, struggles with pornography. 
And if they were to do nothing to avoid porn on their phone, their laptop, whatever, they're going to run into it again and again and just repeat the same thing that they don't want to do anymore. Imagine an alcoholic that just says, I'm going to stop drinking, but doesn't stop going to the bars. If we, uh, the uh, really more lower, like less extreme example, when you're trying to diet, you have to throw out everything you're not supposed to eat out of your house. Me and my wife, we, we, uh, we try to eat healthy, you know, but we both know if it's in the house, I'm going to eat it. And it's really bad because I like my love language is gifts. And so whenever I take the girls to the store by myself, which is like, don't allow me to go to the store by myself because I'll just get random stuff we don't need. Um, I'll end up getting like extra stuff like this last last time I was like, well, we trying to be healthy. So let me get these Greek yogurt popsicles that are chocolate chunk flavored. <laughs> they, they have way less calories. I'll be coming home with Oreos all the time, cookie dough, and Lauren will be like, you just said that you want to start eating healthy. Why are you bringing home cookies? Well, I thought you would like them. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem, though. I'm going to eat them. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and see, when we're trying to change our path, we have to avoid the things that we're actually trying to avoid. A lot of times we just try to do what's called the white-knuckle approach. And we say, well, next time I'll just be stronger and I won't do it. But then next time happens and you end up uh, caving into your cravings because you weren't as strong as you thought you were. And you just have to take a step back and go back to acknowledgement and realize I'm not strong in this area. If it is in front of me, I'm going to eat it. Whatever it is, whatever the substance is, whatever the sin is, whatever the addiction is, if it's in front of you, you're going to eat it. So you need to avoid these things. And I want to share a couple verses with you. Um, and before I do, I, I, I want to say this. Because we're talking about avoiding, act, having these action steps in our life. And these, this avoidance is a, a pivotal step in making a difference in your life. And I, before we get into all of the, the different passive avoidance we're going to discuss I want to say that just because you're starting to take action and avoiding these things in your life it doesn't mean that you will be perfect it's one of the biggest lies that people believe and mistakes that cause people to get so discouraged to where they give up is that we imagine we're going to be perfect on our first try you got to think about the idea that you will likely fall and fail multiple times as you're trying to get free of this addiction, this craving, this sin, this substance, whatever it is. But that you have to allow yourself some grace because some of these issues have been built up in our lives for years. Years. It may take more than a couple days, weeks, months, or even years to be truly free from it. Our mind has to be made up to get back every time that we fall. Your mind has to be made up that if you do fall, you're going to get back up and try again. It is discouraging to fail. It's discouraging to fall. But you need to get back up every time because the more times that you get up, you strengthen yourself. Every time that you get back up, it takes more effort to get off the floor than it does to fall on the floor, doesn't it? And you get stronger and stronger every time to where one day when it pushes you over, you're able to stay standing. So allow yourself grace with determination rather than excuses and condemnation. I like how those kind of rhyme. See, we often make excuses rather than giving ourselves grace. There's a big difference. Excuses is like, well, you know, it just happens. It, you know, 
I'm not perfect. And of course, like it's like all that, but there's a much more lackadaisical idea about it compared to when grace mixed with determination is like, I fell, it's okay, but I'm going to get back up again. It's like you have to really, when you get off the floor, you have to be determined to try to go farther than you did last time. But when you go with an excuse mentality, you just feel condemned. Woe is me. I'm so guilty. I'm so bad. I'm not good enough. And that's where excuses lead us. And I'll be the first one to say that I've had many things I've struggled with and times where I've fallen down and fallen down and fallen down. And I'm telling you that the condemnation is so real and so raw. And there's been a lot of times where I would be so determined to do better and then fall. And that guilt would push me to wanting uh, to do harmful things to myself. I remember for me, one of the, one of the big areas that I struggled with in my early faith was pornography. And I'd never really struggled with that before until I gave my life to Christ. And in the process of like trying to be free from it, I remember um, one of the major, uh, one of the first major times where I was like trying and I had like a long stretch of, of not falling into it. And I ended up giving in to my cravings, my temptation. And I remember I hated myself so much. I hated myself so much. And I, I remember going out to the, this, this truck outside in the back of this big delivery truck and I just started punching it over and over and broke my hand because of the rage I had at myself for failing. I remember another time I was, I was having a good stretch, determined, not giving in, and all of a sudden I fail. I fell down and I remember that guilt and that condemnation came over me so heavily to why I started thinking, I'm not worthy. God, God doesn't want to have anything to do with me. And I remember all of a sudden, all these, uh, a tsunami of thoughts of suicide started coming into my head. And I remember getting, uh, just like having this like crazy episode to where I remember running into the kitchen and just getting uh, one of our big knives and just putting it to my arm on my knees and saying, I should just die because I can't even I can't even control myself how can I please God if I can't even stop sinning and I had all this condemnation no grace and I remember just I got real quiet and I remembered a point where I just yelled and screamed I was at home alone and as I just sat there it was like a moment of silence of quiet and stillness and I just felt like the Holy Spirit say just get back up and I thought to myself, how can I get back up from this? I've failed, I've fallen, and I keep falling. How can I get back up? And the Holy Spirit just repeated the same thing. Just get back up. That's all you have to do. And from that moment, it really started to shift the way that I looked at addictions. It started to shift the way I started to look at struggles, especially my own, to where I started realizing if someone brought me and came to me with this struggle that I'm facing and they were telling me all the things that I was feeling I would say to them hey it's okay just do your best and forget the rest it's okay we all struggle with different things yours is just highlighted to you but you're not you're not different than anyone else everyone does and I started thinking like well if I would give that advice to somebody why don't I take it myself y'all feel what I'm saying would I beat somebody over the head with judgment and tell them how horrible they are? Of course not. And so we got to do some self-reflection. And when we go through this avoidance steps, know that you're going to fall, you're going to fail, but you're going to get back up. Y'all feel me? Grace with determination. Give yourself grace with determination. So with all that being said, I want us to go into this, this idea here, this scripture. It says in Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3, 
Therefore, since we also have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let's run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking only at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For, cons for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, this is a big verse, but the points I want us to take out of it is that the Bible is telling us, throw off the weights that is tripping us up. And often these things that are being brought to our mind, it may not be a heavy addiction, but it may just be uh, what we would say is like, well, it's more of a problem than an addiction. These things, if it hinders our walk with God, then we should throw it out. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And I'm not trying to say... Uh, like throw out your TV, like throw out everything that doesn't bring you closer to God. No, God we understands that we live here on earth. <laughs> We're not in heaven yet. And it's okay to enjoy things of the world without becoming a part of the world. But talking about the sin which so easily entangles us. And I love this verse because it references Jesus on the cross. And it references how he endured the shame and the way that I see scripture is that it shows that Jesus, when he paid for our sins, he also paid for our shame. Then it's like this natural reaction that we have when we're, when we fall and we feel the shame that comes after sin, Jesus paid for that shame too, so that we don't have to live in condemnation or guilt, but that we can have grace to just get back up and try again. He's the perfecter of our faith. Meaning that it's not about how hard we can strive and how hard we can work, but that when we just come to Jesus, even with our problems, even with our addictions, that he can pay for our shame as well as our sin. Y'all feel me? So now I want us to go into really three. I want us to avoid these three kinds of excuses that later lead to self-condemnation and repeated mistakes. Earlier when I was saying excuses and condemnation, I was not talking about excuses of, of going easy on yourself. I'm talking about excuses and not to try. Excuses of not to try. And there's these three of the most self-defeating excuses that cause us to fall over and over are, I wasn't even expecting it. I, need, I just need a taste to get it out of my system. And this is different, though. And I'm, we're going to unpack these before we finish up today. And the first I want to share is expected surprises. And it's this idea of I wasn't expecting it. I didn't know that this would happen. And I want to share, it's a longer verse, but it's from Proverbs. And it really gives us a good imagery of what it's like to have an expected surprise. These moments to where we're like, well, I didn't even know that would happen. Now read with me Proverbs chapter 7, verses 7 through 13. It says, And I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing through the street near her corner, and he walks along the path to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, and in the darkness, and behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a prostitute and cunning of heart. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet uh, not remain at home. She is now in the streets and now in the public squares and lurks by every corner. So she seizes him and kisses him, and with a brazen face she says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings today, and I have paid my vows. Therefore, I have come out to meet you, to see, to seek your presence diligently, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, with colored linens of Egypt. I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh and aloe and cinnamon. Come, let's drink our fill of love until morning. Let's delight ourselves with caresses, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him at the full moon he will come back. With her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. Suddenly, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as one walks in ankle bracelets to discipline of a fool. 
Until an arrow pierces through his liver as a bird hurries to the snare, so he does not know that it will cost him his life. Now, therefore, my sons, listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not go astray into her paths, for many are the victims. Many are the victims she has brought to ruin, and numerous are all those slaughtered by her. Her house is the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. So part of that is like, man, it's getting kind of steamy in here. <laughs> you know, hot and bothered, all these aloes and sheets of Egypt, or whatever that means. Like, let's do it. And all of a sudden, it, the Bible starts saying that it's like a bird going into a trap. It says that the path is to destruction. The path is a, is a way, her house is the way to, to hell itself, chambers of death. And what it's describing is this, this young man that is given into adultery, give, uh, in the simple sense given into adultery, in the prophetic sense given into, into sin. And the way that it describes how he got there, it says that he's naive, right? But it's not saying that the reason he fell into this was that he was naive. is because it says that he walked down her street. He waited around her house. He went at midnight. It's like he, surround, he placed himself in all of the perfect circumstances for something to happen. And acted like surprise when she came out to meet him. And see, when we're trying to avoid this problem, this sin, this addiction, whatever it is, you have to avoid these, these expected surprises. You already know that something's going to happen if you go to their house. You already know that something's going to happen if, if you get this at the store. Y'all get what I'm saying? We have, to, we have to really understand that, acknowledge that if it's there, you're going to do it. And if you really want to avoid this, then you're going to have to get away from it as far as you can. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Again, the, the reason that he fell is because he walked by her house. He went at the right time. He was around the right place. He had all the right resources for it to happen. And so this was no surprise. It was, it was just it was like planting yourself in soil and being surprised that something grew. Y'all feel it? So now, now we can uh, cross out that excuse that we make. Now let's look at the excuse of just a taste. I just need to get it out of my system. Proverbs six twenty-seven through 28 says, Can anyone take fire in his lap and his clothes not be burned? Or can a person walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? This, this idea of let me just get a taste, I just need to get it out of my system. It, I feel like that mentality nearly destroyed our generation. Our generation as millennials, some of you are like, I'm a millennial. Millennials is like anywhere from uh, 20s to even uh, late 30s. If you remember 9-11, you're a millennial. If 9-11 changed you in any way, if you remember it, you're, you're most likely a millennial. And what really damaged our generation was that our parents, Generation X, developed this mentality of, well, they just need to get it out of their system. Their parents, their generation was the boomer generation, a lot more strict. And they, in our generation, they didn't, they, they didn't want the, all the rules for their kids. And they said, it's, well, well, they just need to get out of their system. And so uh, I remember when I turned 21, I, I went and binge drank. And, and so I'll just let my kids start drinking at a young age. And see, what happened is our generation is full of drug addicts and alcoholics more than any other generation. The only difference is that we haven't lived long enough to destroy all of our relationships like the alcoholics of our last generation. I mean, alcoholics in their 20s. Any movie you've ever seen, how old is the alcoholic usually? The one that's depicted of, of ruining their family and everyone else. They're like in their, in their 50s or even their 60s. You never imagine it to be somebody in their 20s, early 30s. We are setting ourselves up for destruction. 
because we just got a little bit of that taste. That little taste we got when we were young. And for some of us, we've already seen how it's destroyed things in our lives. Y'all feel what I'm saying? My relatives didn't think, oh, well, giving him a tequila shot in seventh grade won't, it won't uh, do anything. It'll just help get it out of his system. I had to drink every day just to go to school. I had to do drugs every single day to cope with my emotions. But what was, what was I told when I was younger? Well, it's better for you to just get it out of your system now. See, the lie is that it will just get it out of your system. But what it actually does is it, it only stimulates the unhealthy cravings within us to the point where it consumes us. You have to understand that that craving doesn't want just a little bit of a taste. It will tell you that. But what it really wants is all of you. It wants to consume you. And you can look back at the times that you gave into that craving and you can see how it was not enough and you needed more and you needed more and you needed more. And then, oh no, I'm done. I'm not going to do it again. And then, but next time the craving was even stronger, wanting more. But the last time was the last time. But now you need more. Some of y'all may remember several years back, Castro had kidnapped little girls, four girls, and had them chained in his basement for years, over 11 years. It was an atrocity. And he would, he would rape them. He did forced abortions. It's, it's insane. And he was just... He was just caught. Think about how many more atrocities like that happened. You know what he was? A school bus driver. And in his court date, in his, in his final plea in court before he killed himself in prison, he, was, he said that it all stemmed back to his addiction to pornography. That before he would just look at porn here and there, and then he had to look at it every day. And then he would find himself hours and hours watching porn. And it wasn't enough. He started going to hookers. Started, started trying to continue to feed that craving. Until one day, the opportunity was right for him. And he saw this little girl that needed a ride home. Who was walking and trusted him. And in a, it wasn't planned. It wasn't premeditated. But in a moment, his craving overtook him. And what happened next is that that poor girl wasn't enough. And he had to take another one. It wasn't enough. Had to take another one. Do you see how cravings, when we feed them, they will consume you. And any level, even if you said, well, I won't get that bad. Any level of being consumed by a craving like that, is that healthy for you? Or is that something that's a stumbling block between you and God? Y'all feel what I'm saying? We have to acknowledge and understand that just a taste is not really a taste. I mean, could we look at anything else like that? Well, you know, I just want to allow cancer a little taste in me. Then it consumes you. We have to acknowledge that even just one drop of poison is poison. If you wouldn't drink a cup of water with one drop of sewage water in it, then you shouldn't allow a drop of, of sewage in your life, in your spirit. And we should do our best. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. But don't believe the lie that you just need to get it out of your system. That's what we're talking about. We're, we will fall. We will fail. But don't excuse yourself in thinking that you just need to get out of your system. You just need a taste because it's not. Now, the final excuse is a special excuses. This time, this time is different. Anyone ever say that before? No, this time's different. This is, well, this is a different case. It's not like that one. I remember uh, being a parental figure to teenagers 
And I learned the very things that like we see in, in parental teenager situations. And that's, it's a situation where it happens where a parent is trying to tell a teenager the same exact experience that they had when they were a teenager. And the teenager responds saying, no, you don't understand. This is different. And the reality is, is that it's exactly the same, but it just feels different for you. I want to read this verse. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 through 13, Therefore, let no one who thinks he stands, let the one who thinks he stands, watch out that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you except something common to mankind. And God is faithful, so he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you'll be able to endure it. The part of this verse that I want to focus on is that it says, No temptation has overtaken you except something common to mankind. God is the creator, right? He's omniscient, and he sees everything. And at the end of the day, all sin is the same. All addiction is the same. All of our struggles are the same. They're, they're like fingerprints from far away. They all look at the same. When you get up close, you realize they're all uniquely different. But what it's saying is that what you're struggling with, what you're facing, has been around before you got here. If it's alcoholism, you're not the only person that has struggled with alcohol. If it's uh, pornography, you're not the only person that has struggled with pornography. If it's whatever it is, you're not the first person to struggle with it. And what we often do when we have these cravings or addictions is we make these reasons or explanations of why it's okay that we do it anyway. Well, growing up, my parents drank and it was really hard on me and so that's why I drink now. Well, you know, I was, I was, at, uh, I was at a young age when I was first introduced to porn. That's why I'm addicted to porn now. And so, again, like these are explanations, yeah, but they're not excuses. Let me, let me uh, say this, that for, for me, like I shared earlier, pornography was a big struggle of mine. I was, I was molested when I was 14. Sex just became everything about my life. I felt like I had to uh, like almost prove myself as a, as a man to be, uh, to be sexually active. And it, it explained a lot of the things that I did. But at the end of the day, it doesn't excuse me to continue doing them. I was introduced to alcohol and drugs at a young age. It doesn't excuse me to continue to do them. And we have to, if we really want to get freedom and victory, we have to stop excusing ourselves that we are a special case. If you're struggling with premarital sex and uh, one of the most common things of people that are trying, and I'm talking about Christians, okay? I'm talking about Christians that are trying to be pure. If you have no desire to be pure, then I'm not talking to you. But if you're trying to be pure, you're trying to resist having premarital sex, and what often happens is that we give into it, and then all of a sudden we, we make special excuses. Well, I love them, so it's different. I remember someone told me that once. I said, oh, that's great. Why don't y'all get married? Whoa. <laughs> I said, whoa, whoa. I mean, like, you know, we don't have to do that. I said, why not? You love them. <laughs> why not? It, at the end of the day, we're just trying to excuse ourselves so that we don't have to put ourselves to any kind of standard. Again, we will fall. We will fail. But we get back up. And the only way that we can continue to get back up is if we, make ex if we don't make excuses of why we stay laying down. Y'all feel me? So... These, these things to avoid, avoid the, the methods and paths and locations and people that bring about that sin in our lives anyway. Avoid just having a taste to get out of your system. It will consume you. 
and avoid making reasons or explanations or excuses of why you are a special case and why uh, and so it's okay for you to continue doing it even though it's destroying you you feel me now that leads us to our last point and that's the most important one and that's accountable accountable what this really is is communication communication and with addictions, your level of freedom is dependent on your level of transparency. Your level of freedom is dependent on your level of transparency. Let me share this verse. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. A prayer of a righteous person when it's brought about can accomplish much. What's amazing is that every time I've heard this verse, the prayers of a righteous person availeth much, it's always been just about praying for things. Sometimes it's good, like praying for a healing or praying for something good to happen, but I've never heard it in the explanation of praying for somebody else that just confessed their sins to you, shared their struggles with you, and you praying for them. I've never heard it explained that way to where, Someone that prays for you after you uh, being transparent about sins you're struggling with, that prayer availeth much. What it's showing is that when we are transparent with someone else, when we have accountability with somebody else, that it does so much in one's own life, especially when it comes to finding victory from addictions and victory from sin. This is truly the final closure on finding freedom. It's the final closure on finding freedom. You can go so far out of your own strength, acknowledging it, doing your best to avoid it. But at the end of the day, this final, this final closure is often left undone because it requires communicating vulnerability to another person. It requires you communicating to another person a transparent vulnerable thing about yourself but if you leave this part undone if you try to do it just by holding everything else together yourself it is like putting walls around your house for protection but leaving the door wide open it's like leaving the door unlocked but well look i got all these walls around me it'll protect me no one no one's going to try to get through these walls but the door is wide open it's unlocked. Any, if at any moment you can just go out and let that craving in. You have grown stronger when you acknowledge this issue. And when you take action to these weaknesses, you, you are truly growing stronger as an individual. You are stronger than when you first started, by far. But you must remember that it is still a weakness, uh, an issue of self-control that we have. And there is no better way to find strength than simply asking for help. You've been trying to move this couch <laughs> all this time by yourself. And before you couldn't even lift it, before you didn't even acknowledge this couch needed to be moved. Now you're lifting it and you're able to actually get half of it off the ground. And you're able to drag it so far. But now you're at this place where you need someone to lift up from the other side and get some help. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And not only will you find more self-control by being accountable to someone, you'll just, it'll invoke self-control within you because now you're talking about it and you don't want to, even though you don't need to feel ashamed, you still don't want to be, uh, you feel this urge like, well, I don't want to like fall again. I just fell this last week. Like, and it'll help you go from one week to two weeks just by being transparent to somebody. You'll find more self-control, but you'll also find confidence through your transparency and your faith. You will, you will truly feel better like and closer to God because you're being transparent. I think one of the biggest things that plague Christians today is that they're able to confess their sins to God, and but 
they still feel the guilt lingering inside of them. And there is so much scripture that we could go over that talks about confessing your sins to one another. It literally is describing that when we share our sins with one another, that it lifts the guilt and the burdens on our shoulders. It helps to talk about. And I'm telling you that it truly does take that, uh, that condemnation that you feel, it really does help take that away. To where you, it is so much lighter to walk as you're going about this process of freedom and victory in your life without carrying guilt and condemnation the whole time. And, that, and to be clear, when I say that your level of freedom is dependent on your level of transparency, it is, I feel like for me and my struggle that I've shared with y'all, that the moment that I really started finding freedom from pornography in my life was when I started sharing it with my wife years ago. That is like everything I tried before, I, I grew and I got stronger, but I would still fall often. But once I started sharing it with my wife, it strengthened me in a way that nothing else I tried did. And I did all the spiritual stuff too. Like all the, the spiritual books that, well, if you just start praying in tongues when you get tempted, the temptation will leave. Okay. <laughs> If I just start reading the Bible, I won't be tempted anymore. Didn't work. I just was grazing over words while my mind was somewhere else. It just didn't work. But when I would confess my temptation, my sins, to my wife, it brought about so much more freedom. And then after doing it for a while, I realized that the things that I would hold back or that I didn't want to share, that I didn't want to say, well, this wasn't really a big deal. I don't need to share it. I would struggle so much more the next time because that, that, that hold back, that lack of transparency would consume me. It's like, well, you don't need to share this either. You don't need to share that either. That's, that's not that big of a deal. It's just this. And it would consume me so much more. But at the time where I just decided to be fully transparent, I was so stronger next time. Your, your level of freedom is dependent on your level of transparency. If, you're, if you allow yourself to think that I'll be embarrassed if I share, what you're really doing is setting yourself up for a bigger failure next time. A bigger falling. You just need to know that you're doing it for freedom. You're not doing it for prestige. You're not, sh you're not being accountable to look good to somebody else. Accountability is literally so that you can expose your vulnerabilities to somebody else, not wear your Sunday vest in front of somebody else. So all that being said, I must say that the final thing about accountability is... It's the most powerful thing about our accountability is that it brings healing internally to the burdens that we're carrying. This verse says that it says when it confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. So that you may be healed. When when we struggle with addiction, it hurts us. We see it best with like extreme substance abuse like heroin or alcoholism we see how the addiction literally inflicts you but it's a lot easier to graze by when it's subtle addictions but it all hurts us and when we are transparent it really allows healing to come into our soul it helps revitalize our relationship with Christ and it helps to fight the feelings of being alone the feelings of being isolated the feelings of being weak all of these things that we feel when we fall, the enemy attacks us with guilt, with doubt, and feelings of unworthiness. Everyone that's fallen feels unworthy, feels doubtful, feels like God doesn't want them anymore. All these negative thoughts that fill our minds when we keep it all in. But when we confess, it heals all of those questions, all of that confusion. The last verse here is, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But we all with unveiled faces, looking as in the mirror, 
at the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord Spirit. We go from one level to the next. It's saying we go from glory to glory. And when it comes to freedom, it truly is one glory to another. We like to imagine that freedom is like, I'll just never struggle with this again. But there is actually different levels of freedom. And your first level of freedom is resisting that craving. It might be resisting that craving for a month instead of a week. It might be just going several days instead of, uh, without doing it instead of every day. But eventually you'll be able to go from not doing it in a whole month, one glory to another. Eventually you'll be able to go from not doing it for several months, one glory to another. Eventually you'll do it without going a year, several years. It's glory to glory. And you have to look back and see your progress and allow yourself to feel God's freedom within you and knowing that he's taking you from one glory to another and that you can celebrate those victories, celebrate those freedoms and know that God is the perfecter of your faith and he's working in you and he hasn't abandoned you. We all struggle and we're all being transformed and we can find peace and strength knowing that on our journey with Christ, Nothing has to be hidden with him. We don't have to hide ourselves from God when we struggle. That he sees us and he knows us. All that being said, I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes. There's a, a lot that we unpacked here today. And I wanted to give a lot of practical ideas and resources for us to use in our fight for freedom. But I want us to end on this thought of worthiness. We are not defined by the things that we struggle with. We are not defined by the things that make us fall. We are defined by God's love for us. You are defined by God's love for you. You're not defined by any weakness, by any struggle, by any fault. In fact, God says that he sees you as his masterpiece that he created. You must see yourself as a person loved by God. And the Bible says in Romans that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not height, nor depth, not angels, not demons. Not even sin can separate us from the love of God. That love is so powerful. And you must allow yourself the grace that Jesus paid for you to cover you. And if you're here during this time and you feel like God is just ministering to you, and maybe you've even distanced yourself from God because of that feeling of condemnation, that self-infliction guilt and God today is telling you you don't have to distance yourself from me I want to be close with you just as you are you don't have to think get to this idea of perfection first I want to I want to walk with you now and God is just saying that to you and you want to either give your life to Christ for the very first time or have a, a recommitment to Him. If that's you, I want you to just raise your hand with every head bowed and eye closed. I see your hands. I see your hands. So right where you're at, I want you to just have a conversation with Jesus and just talk to Him and tell them, tell Him God, I, I want to see myself the way that you see me. I know that you are the Son of God. I know that you died on the cross for the world's sins. But help me to believe that you died for my sins too. I want to walk from this moment dedicated to you, committed to you, and I want to walk from this moment with grace, with freedom. I know that you rose from the dead. 
and I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. Now, if you're here and you have been struggling with something, you don't have to label it an addiction. Maybe it's just an issue, a problem. Maybe it's a sin, whatever it is. You just know that God is speaking to you about it in this message. And that's you. With every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. See all your hands. So right now, God, I pray for the, the God of peace to come over your people right now. I pray for the Holy Spirit's power to shower down on every person here right now, especially those who just rose their hand. And right now, I expel all guilt and all condemnation. I speak your healing work within their souls. And I plead the blood of Jesus that marks them and confirms them and affirms them of your grace. And I pray that you would strengthen them right now in this moment. That they have freedom in you. You are the spirit of freedom and you live within them. And I pray, God, that you encourage them and strengthen them on this journey and help them in their walk of transparency with you and others. And that they would feel right at this moment a huge sense of peace in this direction. I thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. With that being said, we're going to go into a time of worship. But before we do, we're going to sign off online. Thank you guys for being a part on Grave Top Online. We love you. Have a good life. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.